to the Mind Talks podcast. You are with myself, Nathan, and my co-host, Edwin. Our special guest is a rugby player currently playing for Wasps. She has had previous spells at Richmond and Saracens, a qualified personal trainer and also an ambassador for a premium sustainable sportswear. An individual who does not believe in limits, as her pinned tweet suggests, Part of the tweet said, sport doesn't mean you have to look a certain way. A warm welcome to Ellie Boltman. How are you, Ellie? Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. Just uh, getting ready for Christmas. How are you guys? Yes, very well. Looking forward to the Christmas break, but equally looking forward to this interview. Ed? Yeah, same, same, same. Yeah, can't wait for Christmas. But yeah, we've we've been... um eagerly waiting for this this interview absolutely absolutely so our regular listeners they know what's coming next but actually we like to spring a few surprises so we're not going to ask our routine question so i'm going to switch it up a little bit ellie where were you when johnny wilkinson dropped the famous drop goal when he scored the famous drop goal in 2003 england against australia where were you I actually remember this. Um, my dad always talks about it because my dad's a big rugby man and we watched it together, even though I was quite young then. Mm. Um, I believe we were at our local rugby club watching it on, on TV and my dad was jumping up and down on the sofa. <laughs> um, so yeah, I do remember that. Absolutely. And were you, at that age, were you a rugby fan or was it literally because your dad was into it, you just watched it with him? Yeah, I was kind of like born into it, I guess. And I did have an interest at that age because I started playing at four, I think it was. So I think I preferred playing than watching it, but I still had an interest in it. And anytime England were playing, it was like, it was so cool to watch anyway. So, yeah. In regards to sports, were there any other sports that you were interested in playing in your early stages of your life? Yeah, I played a lot of sports when I was younger, actually. Um, and I think it's really important to do that when you're younger. So, yeah, from a young age, I was doing rugby, um, football. I did judo for quite a while when I was younger, athletics. Um, I had a horse as well, so horse riding. Um, so, yeah, I literally did, did so much when I was younger. And rugby wasn't necessarily completely the main sport at all. It wasn't until I was older. But um, I actually think that, yeah, playing a lot of sport at a young age is really helpful and I think you just learn so many different skills definitely definitely which one was your favorite when you were younger oh god I don't know (laughs) I think I loved rugby because I was one of the only girls that age and I just loved the Mm. fact that like boys would doubt me or people would doubt me and and I would go and score or so I loved it for that but I did really enjoy horse riding um and I guess, yeah, no, I loved judo at a young age as well. Like, mm. I just, I loved the fact also that I was probably one of the only girls and, like, I could be strong um, and, like, it was accepted. So, yeah. Yeah, so I'm really interested in your story because you have made reference to it on Instagram as well as your Twitter about, you know, just, I guess, the gender um, being a woman in, in rugby in particular. When did you first realized that being a girl was was not so much of a norm um in rugby in particular to be honest i have memories even from a really young age that like it wasn't necessarily accepted um so like i just remember being on on the pitch and like boys pointing at you and being like they've got a girl they're gonna lose um 
So I was really conscious of it from a young age. But I think back then, I only really thought there was other kids who had a problem with it. And then as I got a bit older, I sort of realised that actually even parents and other people just had this this view that girls and women shouldn't play rugby, which is obviously crazy. Um, so I've kind of always known it, to be honest. How was rugby pushed in school for you? Was it pushed at all? Because I know from going to a boys' school, the main sports that they made us play was rugby, football um, in particular. How how was it like for you? Um, it was hard, yeah. I think the first, when I was really young, so about 10, 11, I was really lucky to go to a school where I had this um, head of rugby um, who I still keep in touch with now and he was so enthusiastic about me playing with the boys and I was really lucky I had that at school then because it wasn't really the norm at all but then when I went on to secondary school it was very much like you should play netball hockey you should play the girls sports and I only really played rugby at club outside of school not inside of school um because there wasn't really any girls teams yeah. so um yeah it was difficult um but it's getting a lot better now and it's it's great to see so many girls teams forming at schools nowadays so your story sounds very similar to quite a few um female friends that i know so i had uh, i know quite a few female friends who were interested in football but for whatever reason it was an um, they weren't there were there wasn't any opportunities for them it was really f only for the boys um most of them were ushered into netball or tennis to be honest because one of them went to a private school so yeah it was tennis um the other alternative outside netball um i know you just mentioned that i guess you had your rugby you got your rugby fix because you joined an outside club but in hindsight how did that make you feel knowing that something that you loved, something that you loved, um, you wasn't given the opportunity to play it um, at school or, you know, you know, at such a, a pivotal part of your, um, I guess, development? Yeah, it was really hard. Um, also, because it, it didn't necessarily feel like people kind of respected and supported what you wanted to do. Um, and to be honest, I did actually stop playing for a few years. And I think potentially that had a part to play in it that because I wasn't completely supported whilst I was at school, then I didn't want to keep training outside of school and keep turning up. So, yeah, it was tough. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that I had really supportive parents and close friends with my rugby as well. Apart from rugby, was there any other sport that you did outside of school or was Rugby, just the only one. No, I did. I did athletics as well. I was um, okay. a hurdler for quite a while. Um, okay. So balancing all of the different training sessions was an absolute nightmare, to be honest. <laughs> um, which is why eventually I just had to focus on rugby because you you get to a point in a certain age where it's like, okay, I can't be going to a different sport every like every single night of the week. Like, um, if I'm really gonna take this somewhere and develop, then you've got to focus on one. Um, but yeah. I mean, my mum's probably like, you were a nightmare because I was driving you absolutely everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, walk through the first few weeks of the, the first rugby club that you joined. Um, just talk to us about your experiences, how you felt, um, and yeah, what did you learn early on? So um, my like home club where I first started was Camberley Rugby Club. Um, and the reason that I 
started there was because my brother played um, and my dad coached there as well. So I used to kind of sit on the sidelines and watch my brother play. Um, and it got to a point where I was like, I don't want to keep watching. I want to play. Um, and I joined the team. And I think at that age, you just want to play a sport. You don't really think about what other people are thinking about. Um, and the boys in my team did accept me at that age. Um so yeah, I just wanted to get like stuck in straight away. Um, it wasn't until we started playing other teams that I realised that there might be a problem with a girl being on the team. Um, but no, Cambly are great and um, they have a lot more girls nowadays and there's a few like really successful women's players that have come out of the club. Um, so yeah, it's a really nice homely club. What was the type of things that used to happen when you would play other teams and they would see that you were there? Do you know what? When I was like 10, I actually remember being sworn at by like another boy on the pitch. Wow. And I just remember being so upset because I was like, why is it that, like, why, why does he have such a problem that I'm here? Um, and my coach at the time, I, I remember this now, we had like a little huddle together and um, he said, I'm not going to accept that behaviour we're going to show them why we have Ellie on our team and we're going to beat them. And, and we did, to be fair, and I think I scored. Um, and it was so nice to have that support from my own team. But it was clear that like other teams who didn't have any girls at all and weren't used to having girls around them, that they did like see it as a weakness and see it as a problem. Okay. And talk to us about the cohesion within, your, within the team. Uh, is there anyone even now that you're still in contact with um, I have seen like seen them in recent years. Um, I'm not necessarily still 100% close with them, but I know my coach kind of from then still checks up on me now, and that's really cool. And um, when I you get to a point in mixed rugby, I think it's it might have changed now, but then when you turned 11, you had to move up to girls rugby, and you could no longer play with the boys. And I remember them giving me a a signed rugby ball by all of them, and my coach wrote F E R P. Um, future England rugby player um, and he like always wanted to follow my journey so that's always stuck with me and I think I have the ball still in my cupboard so yeah that's a really cool memory At, at what age did you realise that you were actually really good and you could actually make it to a decent level when it came to rugby? Do you know what? I don't think that's been until recent years if I'm honest um, more so because when I was in my teens like women's rugby at professional level wasn't really a thing um and the girls who did play for England I didn't I didn't really see them as much because social media has just taken off so much more now particularly with women's sport um so I don't think until recent years I really thought that actually I might be able to take this to a to a higher level um and kind of internally as well I've always had a little bit of like imposter syndrome in terms of you know am I really good enough to play at that level? Um, which I think a lot of people have in sport. Um, but yeah, no, recently it's kind of like, okay, I could I could take this to a bigger level now. Um, yeah, I want to stick to the imposter syndrome. That is, that's something I want to ask you. Has that been a hindrance or has that actually spurred you on? I think a mixture, to be honest. Um, because I would say even I kind of, not suffers, not the right word, but I still experience it occasionally mm. now. Um, where you're in a camp or you're playing at Wasps or something and you're surrounded by internationals who've got 50 caps for England. And mm. you're, you're a bit like, should I be here? But actually, 
I do use that as motivation of no, there's a reason I'm here and there's, and you are just going to keep getting better and keep learning from these people around you. So it's definitely something I experienced at times, but I'm a lot better now at using it as motivation to keep getting better. Whereas I think maybe a few years ago, I used to let that really get to my head. When you're, when you were competing in other sports, did you get that feeling as well? Or did that just come with rugby? I think in athletics, I used to get that um, because it was such an individual sport. You'd really like, especially in the warm ups and things, I do remember just looking at other girls and like comparing yourself and thinking, you know, am I good enough to be here at the start line? Like, I think I have always had that. I think it's just because rugby has been taken so much further for me that I've experienced it way more in rugby now. Okay. Um, so I want to talk to you. Uh, I want to ask you about grassroots level. So for me, um, both Ed and I have an interest in some of the, I guess, barriers of entry um, in regards to joining up in a sport. And one of the major barriers of entry is obviously the cost implications. So in terms of rugby, um, what were some of the cost implications for you? And in terms of, I guess, your your membership, what did you get um, with your um, membership? Yeah, so for a lot of clubs, they'll have um, subs, which typically yeah. it's usually a lot less for sort of junior levels. I think for adults, it's, it can be like £150 for a season, something like that, which for some people is quite a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and then when you think on top, you've, you've got your boots, you want to get a good quality pair of boots, you need a good gum shield to protect you, and they're not always cheap. Um, so there are definitely costs involved. Um, I think once you have those things, then and you're turning up each week, there's no cost on top of that. Um, so, it's, I mean, it's potentially helping people with those startup costs, but I think rugby, actually, there's not as many costs involved as other sports where you need lots of equipment. Yeah. So, yeah, main thing, really, subs and then boots and any protective equipment, really. Um, okay. Generally, they'll give you kit involved in subs, I believe, but yeah. for some clubs, they might have to get extra kit on top of that. Um which is hard, I guess. If you, some children are able to buy lots of kit and then others aren't, that you know maybe potentially hard for some children. But um, I wouldn't say it's as bad as other sports with yeah. costs. Yeah, that's the thing. Costs can have an impact in terms of you might get someone who's so talented, but the cost implication can put them off. Let's say if their parents haven't got the money to to pay for the kits, the subs, then it could it could put some of the the good talent off. yeah exactly no 100 i think clubs are getting better at kind of recognizing that in in situations i think schools a lot more schools are playing rugby now which helps if if a child says mm. they want to play for a club outside where that school can help them get like a potential sponsor or something um there is a lot more sponsors coming into the game um, yeah. who can help with costs so that's another way around it Okay, so I want to talk about your teenage years when you was playing rugby and as and you were developing. Um, I really want to focus on a mindset. Can you think of a particular game where you uh, were below um, your own individual standards and you took it very hard? Um, what were your methods? What were your individual steps to to get you to overcome um, the disappointment? I think. It's hard to pinpoint an exact game, but I know I have had games where for some reason, some days you just can't catch the ball or you knock it on for whatever reason. And the more you beat yourself up about it, 
the worse you get, the worse you just like keep knocking the ball on, keep making bad decisions. And it's really easy for that to snowball. Um, I'm better now than I used to be, but it's just using cues in your head, like next job, Ellie, like that's done now. It doesn't matter. Like everyone makes mistakes. Um, so however you work that out individually, but for me, I have sort of small cues that I say to myself in my brain, if I know I'm not completely up to scratch, um, it, there's a difference also between it being a mistake and an effort thing. Like if it's an effort thing, then I don't think you should, you should necessarily be on the pitch. And for me, like if I know I'm not making enough effort, I get more annoyed with myself than if it's just a mistake of dropping the ball because my eye slightly took my eye off it. So I think there's a difference there. What would you say was, has been the most challenging thing for you in terms of, um, when it comes to rugby and how did you overcome that? I think for me personally, because I have such supportive parents with it, it's never been anything within my own like little bubble of people. It's been the stereotypes outside um, and people sort of trying to knock you down about it. Um, I am better now at dealing with just turning a bit of a blind eye if someone makes a comment or someone has something negative to say um but I would say yeah stereotypes towards rugby has been something that really knocked my confidence for ages um but you know it's getting a lot more accepted nowadays and women's rugby is growing so much that a lot of people are now starting to respect and watch the game more so than they ever have um so it is getting easier in that way what is the biggest stereotype that you dislike um so there, there are i'm sure there are a lot of things that are, that are said about um women's rugby but what is the one that really irks you the most a lot of the time people think that they kind of giving me a compliment and they'll say um like you you're too you're too pretty to play rugby and they think they're being really nice by saying that but it annoys me because like i said in my tweet you you shouldn't have to look a certain way to play a sport like we all look very different on a rugby field we all have very different body types we all have very different features very different skills and that's why I love rugby because there's so many different people on the pitch so it really yeah it gets to me when someone says you're mm. too pretty because yeah why can you not be feminine and play rugby that's my whole mm. argument yeah um, so yeah that that does annoy me <laughs> Typical. Um, in terms of your club, how much support is provided when it comes to the mindset? So, for example, a sports psychologist? Um, that's not something I necessarily have access to right now. Um, I think if, if that's something we wanted to ask for, then we could potentially have someone come in. Um, but I, I think we are still behind in the men's game with, say, access to people like that. Um so yeah mentally I, I think we more rely on each other and we rely on our like small leadership groups and things that we have at the club um so I say if I'm struggling I typically speak to my friends um within rugby outside rugby um and that's kind of how I, I get over things okay um so in the intro I mentioned some of your previous teams so you've played for some pretty huge teams um, namely Saracens and currently playing for a, a big team in Wasps as well um, I want to I want to take it all the way back so 
how did you get recruited um, initially? Um, what was the process? Um, how did you feel about it? So just could you just talk to us about that? Um, so for, when I joined Saracens, I was sort of moving up to London and the coach was sort of aware that I was moving that way and asked if I would like to join. Um, and that's when I was getting back into like serious rugby and he'd seen me play at like a junior level um, and saw the potential in me. Uh, so women's rugby can sometimes be a bit of someone just watching you a few times or who you know um, and that's where kind of your opportunities come from. And then in terms of Wasps, I was at Richmond at the time. Richmond were sort of getting kicked out of the premiership because of um, the retender process. And I knew I wanted to stay in the premiership. Um, and it was finding a club that was similar to Richmond in a way of values that I was looking for. Um, so I actually spoke to the coach at Wasps myself um and sort of sent some highlights and my thoughts and things and she was keen to have me and then I came for like a pre-season um to see how I went and then it went from there um so that was two seasons ago so yeah I've been approached but I've also approached a coach as well so girls will typically do either um depending on where they want to go okay in terms of um in terms of your club career and your social life, do you, being in the position that you're in, do you happen? Do you manage to have a social life? And if so, your friends do they understand the position that you're in? I do try to have a social life more so than I have. Um, I think it's been difficult through COVID times as well because we've had to be so mm. selfish with our training and making sure we don't test positive so it doesn't affect games and things. So I think last few years it's been difficult. Um, I do have friends outside of rugby who I enjoy seeing, but not as much as I used to. And I think when you take sport to an elite level, you do lose a lot of friends um, just because it is quite a selfish thing to do. And it's hard to stay in contact with people when you are training so much and you quite often have to cancel on people and, and people stop asking to see you. Um, so it's something I'm trying to get better at for sure. Cause I think it's massively important to have a social life to an extent outside of your sport. Um, but yeah, I do think your circle gets smaller when you, when you take sport morally. Okay. Um, you briefly just mentioned um, COVID and it's just in reference to the question and it just brought my mind to something um, that I heard yesterday. It was Emma Hayes, who is the manager of Chelsea Women's Football Club and they lost, actually, they lost 4-0 to Wolfsburg and she made reference to um, uh, one of the potential reasons was due to um, some of her players having anxiety um, around COVID. So I guess my question to you is, how do you feel? How, how do you feel about playing during this period? Um, do you have anxiety? Do you block it out? Um, what's your individual um, thoughts and feelings around it? Yeah, it's been a really strange time because, for instance, I joined Wasps during COVID um, and I met my team for the first time yeah. on Zoom. Um, wow. Which is weird. And rugby yeah. is quite a social sport in terms of we, we play and then quite often we'll have a drink after. And we haven't yeah. had that. So it's been hard to bond when you've joined teams and been around players. Um, in terms of feeling safe, we, at first, when we were playing 
last over a year ago in that um, sort of first lockdown going into Christmas, we weren't actually being tested because there wasn't enough money for the women to be tested at the time. And that's, yeah, that's when everyone was a bit like, this isn't that great. Um, Mm. Feel a bit anxious, particularly Mm. for me. I live at home with my parents. My parents are both over 60, both Mm. potentially vulnerable. Um, Mm. So as soon as the, the lateral flow testing came in and we were being tested two, three times a week, then I felt a lot safer and better about it. I didn't feel so guilty about putting my rugby first, like kind of over my family. Um, So yeah, I feel a lot safer now. It's just also another added dimension of, I want to go out and have a social life, but also then the potential of me testing positive and then jeopardizing a game at the weekend that like anxiety comes with that. Um, So it's definitely bought a whole a load of things to think about with sport than we've ever had before. Um, mm. But I think we're, we're all just getting used to it now. It's nearly two years on. Um, mm. So, yeah. But but how is, how is it like if, for example, the team that you're going to face, you've heard that they may have tested, like loads of them have tested positive. Does that change the mindset of some of the players thinking, oh, no, does that mean that? We're going to come into close contact because there's sort of protocols in place with the RFU. If there's enough of them that are positive, then the game should either be postponed or something should happen. So at first, yeah, it was a bit like, oh wow, are we going to be exposed to people? But now I think we have more trust of what's in place, um, and usually it will get postponed or cancelled or something will happen. Um, right. So we are protected in that way, and um, all of our training sessions and things are. Um, sorry, are basically filmed so that if you were to come in contact with someone, they would go back to the footage and see actually how long you were in contact with that person and whether you were then deemed as someone who needs to get tested. Mm, Okay, okay. That's really, actually, that's pretty robust, actually. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I want to move on. What is fair for you? So what is fair to you in terms of wages? Um for women's rugby it's difficult because uh it's hard because we don't bring in obviously as much money compared to the men's game but where i stand on it is that we shouldn't be losing money or in a position where we have to sacrifice work and having to live at home and things in order to play a sport um that's where I struggle with it is personally in the past, like I've, I've been spending so much money on petrol, never getting that back um, mm. just to get to training three, four times a week. Um, so I think the women's game is, is in a better position now where some people are fully professional um, some are sort of semi-professional, but mostly all the girls are getting something at least, which we've never had before. Um, it obviously doesn't seem fair, completely fair still, but it's getting somewhere. I think there needs to be more sponsorship when it comes to women's rugby. You see in women's football, there's been a lot more investment in terms of sponsorship deals when it comes to to um, the coverage of it and in terms of the women that are competing. And that's something that needs to happen in rugby for there to be potential in growth when it comes to revenue. Yeah, it is. And it's kind of very individual with getting your own sponsorship. Um, In the men's game, most of them will have 
agents um and people who help them get that and not a lot of the girls do have that um I've only really secured sponsorship because I've gone out and got it or someone's approached me um so it's still very behind in terms of the men's game but there are a lot more sponsors coming in than there ever has been because it is one of the fastest growing sports in the world at the moment um and companies are starting to realize that are you getting any support from the uh, from the men's side in terms of wasps or um just in terms of sponsorship in terms of coverage of the the women's game in general it is starting to happen now um and a lot yeah. of ex-men's players either are coming into the women's game in some form whether that's commentating or coaching um, okay yeah so there is a lot more interest than there used to be before it was just like they didn't really speak about the women's game whereas yeah. now they are sort of acknowledging us and trying to help where they can when it comes to your mindset competing what would you say are your biggest strengths and what would you say are your biggest weaknesses um i think i've always been very hard working um because i know i'm not necessarily always the most skillful player so i do try and always give 100 percent um i've always been quite good at being positive on the pitch when things are going wrong um i like to be a positive voice um and the third one I really, really hate giving up. Um, so even if I'm getting beaten by a lot of points on the pitch, I will never, ever try and give up on a game. Um, so I think those are my three things. Um, three bad things. Definitely overthinking. Um, massively can get in my head about things. Uh, and will focus on one bad thing that happened so for instance I could have scored a hat-trick and missed one tackle and I'll think about that one missed tackle even though lots of good things happen in the game so that's the second one um third one mm, I'd say I mean they're all quite related but I just say letting things go I'm not always very good at letting something go that has happened. Um, and mm. sometimes, particularly in a tournament um, and things like sevens, if you have a bad game, sometimes you've just got to let that go and squash that for now and you can reflect on it at a later time. Um, and I've always found that quite difficult. So outside your cues, um, how else are you, or if you are, um, what other methods are you using in reducing your overthinking? Um, I now try to write things down when things get a, a bit on top of me. Um, so yeah. I do have like a little diary that I'll take to camps and, and training sessions and things. And sometimes it's even just a few words. Um, yeah. I find like talking and being open and honest with coaches really helps me. Um, yeah. Sometimes I'll think I've done something really badly. I'll go and speak to a coach and they'll be like, w why have you seen it from that point of view? You know, you're doing well yeah. this way. Um, so it's just having that reassurance as well and having the confidence to go and speak to your coach, which I found useful and never used to do. Yeah. So, Ellie, um, I, um, I'm interested in your views on, I guess, the critics. So I was going through Wasps and their games and this season, and one that stood out was against the... Durham Sharks 
where you won 105 to zero and you was part of that team that beat them. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing that came to my mind straight away was England versus San Marino, the football team. Now, there were critics that said that or that are saying that San Marino should not really be playing competitively because since their inception, they've only won one game. And whilst it's slightly different to what I'm going to ask you, it's really about um, heavy heavy scores in, in, in the sport, in women's sport. So whenever there's a heavy score line, whether it's football, whether it's rugby, whether it's anything, um, you get critics who say um, or make judgments about the standard, the overall standard of the overall game. And my question to you is, is that a fair assessment or should critics hold for, hold for a moment and just wait for it to naturally progress as more money and yeah, as more money um, goes into the sport? Yeah, like you said, with with women's sport, particularly in women's rugby, um, there is unfortunately like a divide between teams because naturally quite a lot of the southern teams have got a lot more England players and a lot more internationals. Um, DMP are up north and they don't have as many international players and a lot of the girls have got full-time jobs. So it's hard when you're playing amateurs against professionals. There's always going to be a difference in scoreline there. Um, so it's easy, obviously, for critics to say DMP shouldn't be in the league or, you know, look at their performances. Um, but until we're all professional, we're all, all on the same level, it's not fair to make those comparisons. Um, so like you said, when when more money and more sponsorship comes in and, and girls and women don't have to be balancing full-time jobs with full-time training, then you can make fair comparisons. 100%. How do you feel about social media? Because I know there's a lot of um, elite athletes who do not um, like social media and there's some that do. How, how do you feel about it yourself? Um, I think obviously it has its highs and its lows. Um, the highs for me is that a lot of younger girls can now see us on a platform that they never used to be able to. So like I said, when I was younger, I didn't really know many female players because I never saw them, Instagram things didn't exist. Um, whereas now most of us are on Instagram, they see us, we post, they, they have role models then. Um, the lows of it in terms of when England Rugby, for instance, post about one of our games or um, they, they post a video of one of the girls scoring, you'll see so many negative comments underneath, all from men, about... Mm you know, well, that was easy. I could have done that. Our under nine boys team could have beaten them. Um, so I try to ignore it, but there are highs and there are lows of social media. But I think the the interest and the money that it's bringing in, we can only be positive about it in that way. Mm. Continuing on um, the social media theme. So when I was looking through your Instagram, the thing that stood out for me is that you're always in shape. So um, your physique. And my question to you is, have you ever questioned the sacrifices that you've had to go through um, to to maintain um, that excellent physique? Um, So maybe socially, or is there maybe certain events that you've missed? Um, Has there ever been a period where you've just thought, is this really worth it? And can you just talk to us about that? 
Yeah, I I think particularly at this sort of age, I mean, I'm still sort of early 20s. You see a lot of your friends from school and things going out every weekend, um, you know, having lots of drinks, going to dinners every weekend, and you have to sacrifice that side of your life to a point. Um, so I think that's what I find difficult, but I think I have much more of a balance than I did before. Mm. I still... I still eat well, but I still allow myself to have treats and things. And I think you should have a balance yeah. um, because it can become extreme so quickly. <laughs> and I think it then becomes unhealthy. Yeah. But yeah. in terms of maintaining my physique and things now, I do enjoy my training. But I also know that if I want to play at this level, I have to go. So that kind of provides your motivation for when you have those days where you don't necessarily want to go to the gym or you don't want to go to training. It's just that's where the discipline kind of kicks in. Yeah. Um, but I am quite lucky in the sense that I've always enjoyed being sporty and active. Mm. Um, so that kind of comes natural to me. How, how do you deal with injuries? Uh, injuries are a hard one, but inevitable in rugby and contact sport. So you kind of always know it's going to happen at some point. And um, it's, using that to come back stronger and how what you're going to do in that time to make you better when you do come back um I think it's quite a hard thing to get your head around at first and I don't think it necessarily happens until you have your first major injury or setback um so last year this time last year actually I was in the boot with torn ankle ligaments and I never really experienced that before um and it took me a few weeks to kind of stop feeling sorry for myself and actually what am I going to do when I get back and um, what am I going to do in this time to make it useful so it's definitely something that's unspoken about and difficult in in sport um but it's also a really important time yeah that's interesting actually because I was going to ask um because if it only took you a few weeks that's that's really good and so just to clarify was that your first major um injury that you had I'd had um, ones that had set me back probably f six weeks maybe before, but not one where I knew it was going to be three, four months. Mm, um, okay. So, yeah, so that was the kind of first longer one. I'd never really torn ankle ligaments or anything like that before. Um, so, yeah, I was just kind of accepting it and then, yeah. like, what am I going to do to make this injury, like, part of my journey in a way? Yeah what well you're still quite young so what things have you not achieved in your career that you're aiming to achieve let's say in the next few years um i did recently have my first um international sevens cap which is something i've always wanted to do congratulations um, <laughs> thank you um <laughs> so kind of staying on top of that and and getting um selected again and playing on an international level is is something that i want to keep doing um, so that's kind of the next step. And then for me, looking ahead in a few years, I really do want to go to Paris, um, go to the Olympics because sevens is an Olympic sport. So to be an Olympian would be really cool. Okay. Um, if there was, so for me, one thing that has stood out throughout this interview was when you mentioned about joining a team and about having... Um, 
values, certain values. And that's something that really stood out for me because you don't really hear that from, you know, many athletes who, when it comes to choosing a team, they, they, there needs to be a certain um, ethos. And my question to you is what, what are your biggest considerations? So what are the biggest considerations um, for you before joining a club? I think a big thing spoken about in rugby is culture and it's a word that's sort of knocked around quite a lot but actually when you go to a club um, and you can feel a really connected team and everyone's sort of on the same page and everyone's really supportive that's huge to me if I go to a team and I think there's a few really big egos and the people below that aren't really respected that's where I struggle with because I think in a team sport you equally all need to encourage each other to get better. Um, and in terms of coaching as well, I really look for coaches that kind of challenge you to be better, but also allow you to make mistakes along the way. I think we're past the era where it's you, you get shouted out for making a mistake. It's now, <laughs> <laughs> yes. if you make a mistake, fine. What could you do next time? And actually, it's good that you're trying things. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of leads perfectly to my last question. So in terms of coaches mm -hmm. shouting at you, when you've been in that position before, how have you handled it? Uh, <laughs> when I was younger, I probably didn't handle it very well. Uh, <laughs> probably had a bit of a cry and went to my dad. Um, mm. But I do have quite a close relationship with my dad. Um, and I would go and speak to him about it and kind of try and rationalise what was being said. Um, and then deal with it that way. I don't think I have to deal with it so much now because I think that style of coaching is being phased out. Um, but I usually spoke about it and that was my way of dealing with it and moving on. Yeah, it's interesting. It is being phased out. I think um, Edwin and I, we make reference to a particular manager um, <laughs> um, who has who was notoriously known and it once worked, um, but it's no longer working in this generation. So yeah, for sure, I, I agree, it's definitely phasing out. Um, my last question to you is, what does the process look like when setting goals at the start of the season? So how does that process look for you? Um, in terms of me individually, I so what the start of the season looked like for me, I sat down with my head coach and I said, she said, what was your ultimate goal, really? Um, and I spoke to her about getting into the sevens and potentially getting an international cap or getting invited into camp. And it's then, then we wrote down all the things that would get me there and all the barriers that would prevent me from getting there. Um, we sort of made a plan and a roadmap for short term and long term. Um, now, I'm lucky I had that in place at my club. I'm not sure everyone has that. Um, but for me, I do like to start in pre-season at the start of the season, what I want to get out of the season and what I'm going to do to get there. So that's sort of how I achieve my goals at the moment. And well, you got your um, your first your first sevens cup, um, cap. So yeah, Thank um, you. again, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> um, how can anyone get in contact um, with you, Instagram. Ellie? um at ellie boatman underscore um i'm it's probably my social media platform that i'm most active on 
Um, so if you ever want to contact me on there, I do try and get through my messages and things. So, um, yeah, contact me on there. Okay, um, Ellie, um, we really, really appreciate you accepting this invitation. Um, we were looking forward to this. Um, so many questions um, we had for you and have been answered. So we're really, really thankful and grateful. Um, guys, if you are a regular listener, um, please continue to share. Um, if you are a new listener, welcome aboard. Guys, until next time, Stay safe, stay healthy, peace.